Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and someone who will always come back out for the second half, it's Nathan Bloody A. Bloody Clark. Hello, Nathan. How are you doing? That's me. I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yourself? I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm sorry this is a bit late this week, everyone. Uh, we got there in the end, and we've actually got an extra match to talk about for being late, so worked out well, I'd say. <laughs> we um, arrived late into the box with immaculate timing we waited until we lost in order to come talk about our recent games <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, before we get cracking shout out to jeremy cohen for his delightful email about the x subs content thank you so much jeremy it was really really nice to receive that uh, content for the x subs this week has included nathan's set piece analysis was that one fun to do no <laughs> uh, I don't know it's different it was there's the thing is it's like um I decided that I wanted to be like thorough with it so I did like nearly every single set piece from a run of three games and some of wow. them were not interesting I probably could have <laughs> trimmed it down a little bit and just done more of a highlights thing but I wanted the thing is it's like there's one little thing at each corner instead of like good ones here and bad ones there so um I don't know. It's 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 not something I spent a huge amount of time thinking and focusing on before. So it was a bit, a tiny bit of a learning curve, and to see things in that way, um, it's interesting. It's been interesting. Did you see the uh, the set piece goal that I retweeted from the extra inch account that that Rowden yes. posted? Yes. Insane. Like so, this was a, a match from years ago. Kane playing for the England, I presume, under twenties. Uh, and he flicks on to Connor Cody, who's playing in midfield mm-hmm. at that point in his career, to score in a, almost exactly the same way that Kane flicked on for Son to score against Burnley. Uh, I don't know how Rowden... So Rowden is an avid youth watcher. He has a blog called Jules Remay Still Gleaming, so his Twitter handle is Rowd, R-O-W-D-J-R-S-G. He's a brilliant follow, absolutely amazing yep. follow for any all things youth, but just general. I mean, he's just very, very knowledgeable. I have no idea how he remembered that particular set piece. It was insane to me, but um, remarkably similar. Uh, should we start with Antwerp since it's it's fresh in our minds? 
Uh, we've all pretty much just watched it. <laughs> Could we not? <laughs> is, is that a genuine option that you're presenting when you ask that question? <laughs> well, the option is we start with Antwerp or start with Burnley. It's not, It's uh, not. do we start with Antwerp or just not talk about Antwerp? Oh, that's what I was hoping. It was the, okay, all right. Well, in that case, let's get out of the way and, and end more positive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, th- I'm, I'm going to say this straight away. I don't think we need to lose our shit over it. I mean, th- there's been an utter meltdown on social media. <laughs> and frankly, our manager is having a meltdown over it. Uh, I don't think that's necessary. It's not the end of the world. Uh, these games are what they are. And it's fine. We're still going to be okay in the Europa League. It's it's, it's not a problem. Bardi, um, what did you make of the overall performance? Let's start with the sort of top line. Um, it, w- it was a mess. It was a total mess. But like you, I, I don't think there's too much to panic about. We lost the game. It's not going It's not going to affect our chances of getting out of the group. We'll still get out of the group at, at a canter. And I think, it's, I think it was a shame because when I saw the starting lineup, I was quite excited. Um, I was excited to see Ali back in there. I was excited to see La Celso starting. And Reguillon was playing and another chance for Vinicius. And I was... I was fairly positive and I honestly thought we would blow Antwerp away and in the first 10-15 minutes I thought that's what was going to happen but they were really good they were really smart um, you get sucked in sometimes when you see someone like Richie Delat who's this kind of journeyman footballer mm. and you think we're just going to blow through these guys but they were really the, the way they set up was very smart I thought um I thought the the big defender Sek, I thought he was going to have a nightmare, but he was really mm-hmm. strong. And the the Japanese chap Mayoshi, I thought he was excellent, and I was really surprised. Mm. And I I think that's one of the nice things about the Europa League. The other day we were watching um, Juventus Barcelona, and you know you're thinking about European Super League, and it's just like these mm. are two teams who are shadows of of who they should be, play meandering through this football match, and all of a sudden here's Roy Lant- uh, Roy Antwerp, who was just really interesting and playing a free. Three for three, and it was great. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to lose my mind over it, but I thought it was nice. I thought it was nice to see a, a random team pop up and play good football. They're good. They're a good side. Nathan, are they are they better than you thought they would be? Uh, I mean, I didn't have a huge grasp on them. I've, I've watched. Um, <laughs> I've watched a few Belgian division players uh, in the last couple of years, so I've seen them, but I haven't like. I didn't do the. I didn't do prep for this particular match. Uh, their right back who came on Booter I like I've watched him before um, but I didn't have a huge amount of knowledge about them other than that they're, they're having a good season at the moment and they are, they are mm. traditionally one of the stronger um, clubs in the country and it's a, it's a decent yeah. league as well it's a, it's a decent league to, to, to watch it's, it's pleasant on the eye a lot of the time yeah no, that, that, that I mean everything you've said there makes sense from the match we just watched that they were very well organised uh, lots of experienced players lots of sort of players in their early or mid 30s and I thought that showed they were very canny in the way they played us they just sort of restricted space stopped us stopped us really playing any useful balls over the top which is you know what we've really looked to do a lot of recently get the ball forward quickly into the channels and work from that and they just didn't allow that to happen and it was it was really difficult to play against them um four subs at half time is the most notable talking point from the match i think um how did you feel about that nathan what what did that indicate to you <laughs> It indicates that Jose Mourinho is a messy bitch who loves drama. It's just, it's classic. <laughs> it's classic, like, I will go, I will do a groundbreaking thing. Observe, behold, before me, the four-sub move. Ooh, and it's like, it's, it's the statement. It's not about, oh, well, uh, this player isn't doing this 
and we need someone who could it was like it was like for like changes across the board it was literally just changing four players for the sake of changing four players we didn't improve much we we, we improved a bit all right i'll give them that we improved a bit we took off players who didn't look match fit especially um for players who did okay but it was more about the look how bad the team that i literally selected a couple of hours ago is (laughs) statement rather than anything especially tactical um and then what he said, I would have liked to have made 11. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course he said that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it is, it is what it is. I mean, okay. The, 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 the conversation that's going to come from this game is, oh, you thought we had good depth, but actually all of these secondary players, they're trash. Vinicius couldn't score in a brothel. Um, you know, Bergvine, absolute trash. You need to go back to um, mainland Europe. You know, all of the, all these players you thought we had as good backup are terrible. But that's like, <laughs> that's not what it is. That's not what it is. What it is, is if you make that many changes at once, they just don't have that foundation. If you bring one of those players into our starting eleven, I think they thrive. If you bring two of those players into our our, our the players who have played a game after a game after a game, they thrive. But this is a lesson that we have learned every Europa League year, so what, like eight out of the last 12 years or something stupid. We keep learning again and again. If you make nine changes, everyone is just off the pace. You need like that, that foundation, that bedrock to develop from. But if you throw out a bunch of players out there who haven't got any, you know, there's no single pairing of players who are familiar with each other, then... A bunch of attacks sputter out. <clears throat> and we had, I thought we did all right in the opening sort of 15 minutes of the game. We got the ball forward well. We got the full forward to attacking players. They looked to make combinations. Some of them were moderately promising. They didn't come off. And essentially the game ended there. <laughs> we, we stopped getting in. I don't know if it was a matter of, I need to rewatch it. I, and I might be worth rewatching. Um, whether Antwerp made any sort of tactical tweaks around the sort of 15 to 20 minute mark that made it hard for us. But it may just be that we became disheartened because a bunch of attacks busted out. We've been on this ridiculous run recently up until the Burnley game where we've scored from our first or second shot game after game after game, which is not something that is even vaguely close to sustainable. I think we have to just like... We we needed to sort of stick at it and deal with the fact that you can't always score off your first attack. And uh, that's my suspicion anyway, is that as soon as things didn't immediately work out, oh my God, I suddenly realised that Harry Kane is on the pitch. Let's not try to play football at all. Uh, and then we panicked under their pressure. We punted it long to players who weren't running, um, players who weren't fresh, players who haven't been playing or running games. Um and and it just it didn't it didn't materialize for us and so we made four subs at half time yeah yeah and and the thing is you you're right him him sort of trashing the players after the match it is it, unhelpful i guess so a couple of comments on the substitutions um and the rotation generally i mean the first thing to say is it did work against lask that rotation it you know you, you can make 10 changes against a team as poor as lask they they were awful mm-hmm. we kind of knew they'd be awful because you know, even even when I sort of semi-jokingly ran through the, the, the players in their squad in, in the pod before, where I said, you know, they've got four Austrian players, but they've all made one appearance for the Austrian national team. Yeah. 
it kind of implied we knew that they were going to be a quite a poor side. We just knew that, and they were a quite a poor side, and we we made easy we made um, easy work of it, and it was a, a solid, convincing win. This match, I mean, I didn't know what to expect from Royal Antwerp, but you'd expect that the people at the club would, and and therefore that you perhaps can't make quite so many changes and get away with it this time around, and and that was the case. Um, and and I guess the problem is you make the changes because you want to rest key players so they're fresh for the next game but ultimately in making so many changes you have to then bring key players on for the second half so you're getting you end up playing them for more than you want to play them which is counterproductive so we had Kane and Son absolutely sprinting down everything in, in that 45 minutes trying to push for a goal we don't really want to see that I mean that's the last thing I want to see is Kane running his socks off in the Europa League when we know what happens when Kane plays multiple minutes it's it's not good he needs breaks um so that that was a that was a shame I thought but uh but yeah I mean I'm still in the position of it's not the end of the world the problem is this there's there's too much football like I said if, if you bring in one or two of those players into your 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 constant 11 things work out fine but we have to make that many changes because of how much football there is an absurd you know three games a week every week forever and this is always going to be the result you know you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't if we don't rotate our 11 our players are run down and exhausted and if we do there's a at least decent chance that this will be the performance despite how good they may well be individually that's just how it goes so there's definitely a middle ground though There's, there's a middle ground where you where you rotate a little bit every match so you don't yeah, have a league sure. eleven and a Europa League eleven. You have you have a good sixteen who who can all of whom can play in the league and be fine. And you know, Lamella's played some league games recently and been really good. For example, I think that's I think that's a reasonable I think that's a reasonable compromise. The problem is that Mourinho has now come out and basically said I wanted to make eleven changes. And this is a direct quote: After tonight, my future choices are going to be very easy. So, so that's not happening. He wants he wants to have a, a, a defined eleven for the Premier League. And then you know the the off cuts for the uh, Europa League. Buddy, sorry, you've been patiently listening, waiting for your moment. <laughs> no, the, the two things that really stand out for me is we now realise how important Endobele is to this football club, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think this will be. It's, it's, it's obvious you could see that. Um, the other thing is this: this isn't new for Tottenham to be bad in away games in the Europa League. Historically, we have been kind of lapsadaisical, and we we just get through the games even in qualifying for the Europa League we've been we were pretty poor to, against Plovdiv and I can't even remember the name of the Macedonian team anymore but um, we have been like that and we're, we're going to get found out eventually I do think um, Bergwijn, La Celso, Delhi just not having minutes in their legs did hurt them and I wouldn't I wouldn't throw them out the window immediately if I was Jose I'd give them a little bit more I'd be a little bit more patient with them but I think they, the games are coming quickly and they've got a chance to redeem themselves in the next Europa League. I would still continue to make these changes in Europa League until we get to panic stations and then start everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, personally, I would always prefer... If, if you've been that bad in, in, in the first half, but there's no real damage done, hmm. I would say it's always best to, to send the players back out and give them a chance to correct what they've done, like, totally. to, make up, to make up for their, their shortcomings. Um, Particularly someone like Delhi, who really does need minutes at the moment because he's he's barely played, uh, and, and it would have been really useful for him to get some minutes in his legs because he's not going to improve, he's not going to get any better uh, if he doesn't play, and and his form will just continue suffering. It's it's kind of again counterproductive, I think. 
Um, I felt that this performance, and, and this might not be popular, I felt it was a continuation of the Burnley match. Um, and we, we need to talk about Burnley in mm. a bit more detail. Uh, but but I, 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 I genuinely thought that it was a lot the same as the Burnley match. I think that's and, fair. And also, I wanted to pick up one point that Glenn Hoddle made post-match in the very, very brief analysis um, which is something that I've been trying to make in, in a less articulate way a, a few times about our possessional play and our structure. Uh, he, he showed they showed a clip of the goal we conceded and how we lost the ball when we had the ball on the, on the left hand channel. And he said, you know, they've committed lots of bodies forward, but they're all in straight lines, and that is absolutely right. That's the thing I've noticed with um, Mourinho's possessional structures. We often do have lots of players forward, but we don't make angles to receive passes. Mm-hmm. We, we're not we're not situated in triangles. Um, and I, I, this could be a, it could be a situational thing. It could be a confidence thing. I mean, I understand that the, the the way Mourinho sets up attacks, from what I understand, is that he essentially tries to encourage players to use their own creativity. They they create from within themselves. They are good players, and he gives them freedom to express themselves creatively. He doesn't ask them to sit in structures. But this has led, in, in numerous occasions, to us looking very f- literally flat in terms of playing it. You know, the players lined up across the pitch. Which is problematic at breaking down set defenses. We and, and let's let's go on to Burnley now because it makes sense. We saw against Burnley that you know Burnley are a well-oiled machine. They're, they're not attractive on the eye, but they are incredibly well coached. The detail of the coaching is is quite sensational from Daesh. It's it's like I don't know how he does it, but it's honestly robotic the way they. Um, the way they line up and defend, it's it's really quite impressive. Um, and one of the ways of, of breaking down teams like that is to have lots of players coming short for the ball and then another player rotating in behind, you know, you're trying to drag defenders out of position, you're trying to tempt them away from the position that Daesh is instilled in them that they have to be in at all times. We didn't do any of that. We uh, The Burnley match was, um, to me, and I appreciate we won the match, so we got the end result that we desired. To me, that was a really, really lacklustre, poor performance against Burnley. And I think the result skews uh, that. And people come away saying, you know, we showed grit and determination and we ground out a difficult away win, a difficult place. I mean, like, yeah, we did do that. But it didn't convince me any more that we are going to be able to break down packed defences. It was a, a lucky sort of uh, victory where we'd headed one off a line and then went in and scored our own set piece. We didn't really deserve to win that match. And we didn't really deserve to lose it either. Like, it was probably a, a nil-nil game. Um, but I'm still unconvinced that we can break down set defences. Not that I think that's easy. I appreciate it's really, really hard to break down well-coached teams. I, I do want to, to stress that. Um, buddy, again, I can see you're you're patiently sat there waiting waiting for your moment. I just think um, I think part of our problem has been we've been so successful in playing quick that we we blew Southampton, Man United away, and, and West Ham for seventy minutes by going really fast and going long. And I think against Burnley and against Antwerp, we needed to show a bit of patience. And I think a lot of the time we we ended up rushing things, and because mm-hmm. because going long has worked for us so many times, it's now Kane drops deep, spins, and whacks one over the top. And mm-hmm. even though that involves, even though obviously it's a bit more subtle than that, it's essentially what we're doing. And, and Burnley weren't weren't ever going to allow that to happen. And I, and I did smile when you you said trying to tempt their defenders out. That just doesn't happen. It's impossible. Those guys, you can't tempt them. You can like a what a, a well trained dog. You waft a sausage under its under its nose. It's not going to break ranks and just come chasing. They're so out disciplined. After you. 
it's insane and they stunk the place out they are they are an awful football team in that sense that they just they just will not allow you to play and we needed to be smarter but in the in the past I we would have lost that game many times we went there with Pochettino with a better team and we lost and we didn't this time we we stuck in there and we didn't make any mistakes Dyer tried his best, but we didn't make any mistakes, and we <laughs> came away with three points. So I, I know you called it a smash and grab, and I've, I've seen you write that down a few times, but I don't think it was a smash and grab. I don't think we did anything to deserve winning it, but we didn't do anything to deserve losing it. And I think those points we lost against um, Newcastle have now come back. Lady Luck has delivered them back to us, so we're, I think we're at par for the season now. You know, it swings and roundabouts. I think we're okay but I just think we knew we do need to be smarter with the ball and we need to be more patient and I didn't see the what Hoddle says but I completely agree I completely agree with how you described it we do need um, people to come short and open up gaps for us I, I completely accept everything that both of you are saying um, but if you train <laughs> set pieces yeah and you score from set pieces that's that's valid and I do think mm-hmm. if you watch the video, it's it's 45 minutes long. But to cut to the chase, our attacking set pieces are coming along nicely. Our defensive set pieces still have some work to do. We definitely got a little lucky clearing the ball off the line. I do think that, that was something prepared maybe there. Um, they still need some work. Still, it's a very difficult thing to do. But I do think that like you can win a handful of games that would have been nil-nil games or 1-1 games if you're the kind of team who are liable to putting up those kind of performances which we very much are mm-hmm. then you you turn one pointers into three pointers at several points across the season that's completely valid uh, uh means of achieving those points it's and, a really um, good point we- yeah, totally. Liverpool did it on occasion last season as well. Mm-hmm. When they didn't always blow teams apart, they did scrape uh, a Van Dyke goal from a corner, or Jordan Pickford drops one on Origi's head. Maybe that was a season before. You are allowed to win scrappy games. You don't. Not every game has to be a demonstration of beautiful attacking flow in football. And with the run of games we've had, then I, I think. I think I enjoyed that 1-0 just as much as, maybe maybe not, but just as much as the 6-1 against Man United. I thought I thought that was, um, I thought it was a turning point. I always do. And then we played Antwerp and <laughs> perhaps it wasn't. But uh, I, I, I enjoyed that 1-0 win more than I've enjoyed many teams that we've thrashed 4-5-0. No, I'm, I think they're good points. Um, and, and Nathan, you, you're right. I mean, I've, I've been calling on this podcast for about two seasons <laughs> now for us to actually develop set pieces so that we have another means of scoring goals in game where we can't break down the opposition so for me to sort of now say well we we only won through a lucky set piece is, is a little bit uh wrong-headed um and yes you're, you're absolutely right um i guess the, the downside of that is you'll have games like the newcastle match where the opposite happens where you you, you can't break the team down and the opposition scores a, a scrappy set piece uh so it's it's perhaps perhaps not sustainable points-wise across the season. Actually, Bardi, the point you made about us being uh, about par after Newcastle is absolutely mm. bang on. Um, if you look at the expected points from Understat, we are about where you'd expect points-wise. Um, what you'll find on Twitter is people will say, well, if we'd, if, if only we'd beaten Newcastle, uh, we'd be X places higher in the league. And it's like, well, yeah, but you don't... It, overall, we have got roughly what we deserve. So it's kind of worked out okay. <laughs> uh, you've got to factor in things that work both ways. So we're on uh, 11 points and opt to have us at 10.66 expected points. So, yeah. So it's about bang on. Uh, what was really interesting when I looked at that is uh, is where Brighton are, our next opponent. 
man, I feel sorry for them because they they are uh, a lot worse off than they deserve to be based on their performances. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have you watched much of Brighton, Nathan? Uh, please do not feel sorry for the team that we were about to play. That has historically been a horrifically <laughs> <laughs> dangerous way to think. Of. They'll be fine. They are playing well. They They're are really putting good. up good performances. Results haven't gone their way. They've made mistakes here and there. Uh, they have been legitimately undone in games. They do have weaknesses, mm. but um, but they're a good side and they'll be fine. So <laughs> don't don't feel bad for them. Because the doctor is about to see them. I've got um, I've got something in my mind. It's been in my head since Monday night, and I, if I don't say it, <laughs> I'm going to kick myself. I, what I was really happy about the Burnley game is I spoke a couple of weeks ago about Tottenham being undone by chaos, by teams just kind of lumping them in, lumping the ball in the box, and I was very happy at how we managed the chaos that Chris Wood, who's an absolute slab of a human being, and um, Ashley Barnes <laughs> created. They are just. They just, um, they just, they don't do anything, but they do everything. They're just throwing their dinner around and just smearing the walls with gravy and chucking potatoes at everybody. I just thought, I just thought how we managed their chaos was really good. And uh, Brighton are terrible. I watched Brighton against West Brom and I didn't think, I thought West, West Brom deserved three points. I thought Brighton are bad. I don't think they're defensively as good as they are. Lamptey's great, but their centre-backs are not good at all. And I, I expect us to, to run right through Brighton. Yeah, I mean, this, it's the space behind and outside their wide mm. centre-backs, which is the place yeah. to attack. So they play back three. Um, they're very aggressive with their wing backs, who are Lamptey, who's who's a a, a star in the making, um, and March, who's who has spent a lot, of, not always March, but March, who spent a lot of his career um, recognised more as a winger. Um, so there's their space in, in behind in those areas. Um, probably more on their right behind. I think it'll be Webster rather than Byrne, who has fullback experience. But yeah, that's that's the way. Um, and I think that Bissouma can be can be dragged out of out of position a little bit as well a special player on the ball but has has frailties mm. and um commits a lot of fouls so yeah you think Bazuma will play i i wonder whether they might uh... see a risk is he a 
Well, I just I thought they might go with uh, Alzate in the sort of more holding role because he's whenever I've okay, seen yeah. him this season, he's been really impressive. That would and be he's smart. Very, he's, he's much more disciplined than Basima. Basima is very good in the ball, though. Very, very good in the ball. Mm-hmm. I, I do like him as a player. We were linked with him at one point. Yep. I'm um, going back to Burnley briefly. Uh, Bardi is, of course, absolutely right about how well we handled their uh, air raid offense. <laughs> Uh, and Toby Alderweireld was magnificent. I thought, despite sort of losing an eye early on <laughs> in the uh, in the match, um, he was brilliant, and it it absolutely reassured me that he is our best centre back still. I know, I know, he's got the hunch, Bardi. I know what? he's got the hunch now, <laughs> but uh, he is still our best centre back as it stands. And he was he led by example in that match. He was fantastic, really fantastic. And you and and, and you're right that um, Barnes and Wood are. Are uh, are pie and mash footballers, but they they also have a fair amount of um, intelligence to their game as well. They know when a teammate has been shuttled into a position where all he can do is is launch launch the ball forward, and they time their runs into the channels immaculately to receive take one or two touches to hold the play up and then wait for a teammate to, to join them. And, mm. and they did it time and again, really effectively. They struggled to get into the box often, Burnley. Um, but but some, of their, some of their attacking play, it, it's, it's not nice on the eye, but you can see what they're trying to do. And it's very effective. It's really effective. And I was, I, I know, as ever with um, Sean Dyche, I, I come away feeling impressed by, by what a team with those resources has managed to achieve for, for such a long period of time. I, I think Burnley get a very raw deal. Um, they, they punch well above their weight season after season after season, and it's it's very impressive to me. Not that I would ever want Sean Dyche at, uh, at my club, but um, he does a great job. Yeah, um, I'm happy to only watch him twice a year. I'm more than I, I don't think yes. I would ever watch him in any other game because they're not they're not pretty. Absolutely, I fully agree. Uh, anything else to say on Burnley from either of you? <laughs> no. <laughs> and do either of you feel as though um your thoughts on our season as a whole have changed after the last two matches? I've had to calm down a little bit. I've had to I've had to rein in a little bit. I um I don't know. Maybe I got drawn into uh, this idea that football has changed back around enough to favour Jose Mourinho. Uh, Burnley, basically, um, Burnley are a team who normally play a very compact style of football. Uh, people think of Burnley as always playing in a super, super low block, but they will also actually often press pretty high um, and, br- did, and, yeah. and, and bring the defenders up. What they did against us was uh, play in a non-compact way, press high and keep defenders deep. Um, mm. Because when teams press us, we play over the top, and so mm. we just played to where their centre backs already were, uh, and there was a lot of space in midfield. And I thought that we would have the um, we would have the wherewithal to recognise that and 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 take advantage of that because it's very easy to take advantage of that. Very being relative, of course, mm-hmm. and and just getting Dombley on the ball more and deeper and get Sissoko running with the ball at his feet, and we just we couldn't get that going for us, and. Um, I think that's a bit disappointing and maybe slightly just knock me down, just down a peg. Yeah, I thought all of our good moments in the Burnley get match basically came when Ndombele dropped deep and picked up the ball. Yeah. Uh, and it should have, in my view, he should have moved deeper earlier in the game and we might have had more success. He he was playing essentially as a 10. Um, 
And I guess the I guess the, the the idea behind that was that one way of breaking down a pack defense is by having a player who's really good in the ball who can run at them and commit and get players to commit. But he didn't really ever have opportunities. He wasn't ever found. This is the problem. He's he's like our best ball progressor. So if he's the one receiving the ball, who's passing it to him? It's definitely not going to be Sissoko because he's really really bad at that. So you kind of needed Ndombele as the six, the eight, and the ten. Uh, and unfortunately, mm. we only have one of them. What was quite interesting is um, after after five, six years of Pochettino where he, he didn't really change for the opposition. He had his way of playing and that was his style. It was interesting to see Spurs completely adapt to to the opponents who were playing. So we didn't play Reguilón and Aurier at fullback. We went with two bigger fullbacks and we went with Sissoko midfield when perhaps um, we could have gone with Lo Celso or, or even Wink. So it was, um, it was strange to see Spurs do that um, because of what they were anticipated to play against. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative, but it was just an interesting thing that I, I saw from the game. When you when we went back, when I was watching it, I did keep I did think had Reguilón played in left back, the amount of space that Ben Davies was was getting, perhaps he could have caused some damage. But then, of course, he would have gone. It would have got absolutely destroyed in the air. So I think there was a balancing act, and I think I think Jose just pulled it. Well, he did pull it off because we won, but he I think he just he just got away with it there. Absolutely. Um. So so moving on to some questions. Uh, and, and bear in mind these were sent in before the Antwerp game so the first one Matt Smith from Patreon says so after last night's game meaning Burnley in fact it was last, last. it was uh, after the last mm. game uh, he says I have two questions what did you make of Vinicius's debut and Ben Davis at left centre back <laughs> um, let's talk about Vinicius first he had a really really impressive match against Lask much less impressive against Royal Antwerp although there were still a couple of moments which were which were good but Nathan any any immediate thoughts on Vinicius uh look good look good it was it's a weird one because he's he's someone who's come to us as like a uh, we looked at him, didn't we? We did a we did a video on mm. him, and we saw this player who he runs in behind, and also he runs in behind, and then some other times he runs in behind, um, and doesn't really do many other things than that. He has the technical ability to find other players, to to contribute, to hold the play, um, but for the most part, he's goals, 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 goals. And he came on, and did he get a hat trick of assists, or was it only two? Two assists, two assists, but they were both so, very, very impressive. Yeah. I mean, essentially what happened is he ran in behind at an angle and then played the reverse <laughs> pass to a player arriving in the box. So it's not like he's he's been a different player, just a slight tweak of, of, of different things. Um, but yeah, I thought he looked good. I was more impressed. I was really really impressed with Ben Davies at left centre-back against Lask. Um, and uh, Linear Time has not treated that take well. Um, <laughs> there's there's, um, there's a lot of conversation going around right now about how terrible Ben Davies is, what an absolute abomination of a centre-back Ben Davies is, how he should never, ever, ever play centre-back, or maybe even football again, uh, because he got fouled dawdling on the ball and we conceded a goal I thought he was okay I didn't think he was as good as he was against Lask again I was really impressed with his performance against Lask I thought it was okay he it wasn't it wasn't it was not Ben Davies fault that we couldn't progress the ball up the pitch I promise it wasn't him he was fine he's fine he's always going to have a defensive shortcoming in terms of his height um and it's always there are always going to be opposition who it is inappropriate to play Ben Davies against he's always going to deny us an extra tall person at set pieces although maybe we could spend some time coming to them and it wouldn't be such a big deal um 
I I'm someone who's been reluctant on the idea because we we've had the Ben Davies at centre back question on this podcast. Uh, mm. You know every two months for three years. <laughs> ben Davies plays centre-back for Wales. Could he do a job for us? Now we have an injury crisis at centre-back. And I said, maybe in a three, but probably not really. We wouldn't really want to see that. And I was really, really impressed with him against Lask. Um, so if he gets played at centre-back again, um, bearing in mind that he wasn't one of the one, two, three, four substitutes made at half-time, don't be shocked. The reason he's going to be played there again probably i suspect is because he's doing fine yeah i mean i i haven't got overexcited about uh spurs's apparent title challenge but i also like you got overexcited about ben davis's performance against lask uh, and i went a layer deeper in my mind <laughs> i was thinking this is this is perfect because we've got this aging left back who doesn't have the um physical conditioning to get up and down the flank anymore but he's got a really good left foot and he's got a good pass on him and so he can play center back and bring the ball out and pass it to Regalon who is a really really good attacking left back and what that means is he's no longer in rotation for left back so it opens up a space for Dennis Serkin to be our backup left back and everything is well in the world that's how my mind worked after Ben Davis's performance against Lask and I agree I agree with you that uh, he wasn't as bad as people are saying uh, about the and after the Antwerp match it wasn't terrible and he should get played there again uh, but when you concede a goal after a, a centre-back is robbed of the ball it's good it's gonna lead to takes it's gonna lead to takes that's it's inevitable and it wasn't a great moment and I don't think he was fouled to really be I, I, I thought Mbukani got a bit of the ball and Davis just kind of crumpled to the floor okay. um, to be honest that's actually something else I, I noted down to to, to comment on I noticed this against Burnley and, you know, Davis's moment, it didn't even occur to me while I was watching the game, but now I'm saying it, now I'm thinking about it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's relevant, I think. We kept going to ground against Burnley and claiming for fouls mm. and free kicks before the whistle had blown. And I thought, oh, have we gone a bit too far with this clever cunts thing? <laughs> have we, are we, are we now trying it on a bit too much? And do we need to scale it back a little bit and actually start playing to the fucking whistle? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, Ben Davis that was on the floor prone anyway, so he, it's not like he's going to get back up and actually be able to make a difference. But he was he was definitely looking for for a free kick for sure. Um, Buddy, are you are you willing to to throw Ben Davis off a cliff? No, but you, I have been stick with him. I have enjoyed you guys talking about Ben Davis like he's um, mid thirties Paolo Maldini decided to move <laughs> into, into centre back because he reference. doesn't have the not engine. <laughs> he doesn't have the engine anymore. He, he was fine. He you know, he made a mistake. He got caught. Um, we lost the game. We didn't lose the game because of him. Um, I was a bit upset Vinicius did come off. I thought that was a bit harsh. It's very mm-hmm. harsh on a striker. We've seen Kane not do anything for 89 minutes and then score a goal. Yep. I think... Many times. I think, yeah. Had, if LaCelso and Bergwijn did annoy me in that first half, so I can understand if he was annoying me, he really must have annoyed Jose. But I would have kept Vinicius on the pitch. And I don't think we... We didn't learn anything. Always, if you're going to lose, at least let's take something away from it and I think keeping Vinicius on the pitch for 90 minutes wouldn't have been wouldn't have been an issue for me um but I was I was happy with his debut he he looked better than Vincent Janssen which is a mm-hmm. massive positive yeah I do, I do feel like Nathan said having having watched uh, lots of his highlights of him just basically being on the end of things in the box mm. I do wonder if these two assists are going to be a bit like uh, when Moussa Dembele scored that goal against I think Norwich on his debut mm. and then basically never scored again for us uh, except that amazing thumping 
volley in the Europa League. Um, yeah, so 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 maybe maybe that isn't a sign of things to come, or maybe he's instantly learned from Harry Kane, the the best assisting striker in world football right now. Um, th- this question, which was again asked after the last game, feels even more relevant now. This is from I Want Pie through our uh, Discord channel. It says, "Bit late, should have got this in before this week's pod." But how much of Davinson Sanchez's struggles against West Ham were due to him playing on the left? I think he's looked dodgy all season, but it was a real step up at the weekend. He looked much more assured on the right against Lask but that was Lask uh Bardi you're Davinson Sanchez's biggest supporter on this podcast um <laughs> what 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 have you made it? I mean you surely you're not that delighted with his performances this season but what what do you think is going wrong for him he's in a bad place he's um he's not making he's not he's not doing he's not doing the simple things correctly anymore and I I'm concerned about him I did there's something at play there he's um he's not even at the moment he's not first choice he's dropping down the ranking order in the for the Colombian national team as well there's question marks around him there yeah I, I'm not sure I'm not sure what's happened to him but he's gone from a quite a promising defender to someone who's been in a bit of a funk now for a while um I did think it was perhaps because he, he did didn't have anyone to play alongside him and we didn't have a defensive midfielder but yeah, I don't know I, I'm hoping it's not terminal because I still think there's a good defender in him but I'm not sure I'm not sure what's going wrong but he's he's definitely more he's definitely more error prone than he used to be I saw a report today saying that James Rodriguez is trying to convince Everton to sign Davinson Sanchez to play alongside Mina and they mm-hmm. would be prepared to pay 45 million for him yeah uh, Nathan that sounds like Deal. the perfect Perfect deal. 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 Done. Uh, yeah. I like yeah. Davinson Sanchez. I think, you know, he's got ability. He's certainly got athleticism. Um, he's not a bad centre-back by any means. Uh, playing him on the left is a war crime. <laughs> I couldn't believe when I saw that against West Ham. Um, he's shown time and time again that he's not happy on the left. Have we played him on the left that much? Uh, I think he played in, the, in his first season. I recall him playing on the left and looking ugly. He, he looks yeah. uncomfortable on the ball on the right <laughs> true <yeah. laughs> so it's like that you know a technical player can move over to the other side someone who's already nervous on their favored side is always going to have a horrible time playing on the left you know um not that necessarily means we have to offload him but if if we can if we can get our money back on him i think i think i probably would yeah makes a lot of sense I still don't think our centre-backs are as bad a problem as maybe other teams have at this moment. Like, Liverpool now sure. losing Fabinho, Fabinho and everything else. But, yeah, he's he's not developed. From from the guy that arrived, he hasn't developed in the way that I had a hot take where I said he's going to be better than Ledley King. Yeah, I could at some point I'm going to have to um, apologise for that. But not, <laughs> that's not that day hasn't come yet. So, um, he hasn't developed how I wanted him to develop. And um, there's, there's a the new collab- being sent back on the block, Carlos Cuesta at Genk, 21-year-old, is he's going to take his place in the national team at some point. Okay, uh, I, I think probably it's likely that Dyer and Averald will be our first choice centre backs for the next few Premier League games until um, Ben Davies takes no yeah. is that <laughs> well maybe until Joe Roden yeah. um, earns a start and then keeps his place or mm. Jaffet Tanganga comes back from injury we'll be playing Davies and Roden together and saying oh the problem is Roden's he's not his best when he's on the right side we need a we need a right <laughs> footer to <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Welsh, the Welsh boys at the centre, the yeah. heart of our defence. 
Uh, Joey Gentile, who is from Houston Spurs, shout out Houston Spurs. He says, question, how many Premier League teams would start Serge Aurier, as in nailed on starter, not asking about rotation? Um, I thought Aurier had a really bad game against Antwerp. I was keeping a close eye on him because I was actually really pleasantly surprised by some of his early performances. And I was thinking, wow, has the introduction of, of Matt Doherty just kind of completely changed Aurier's mindset and suddenly he's now concentrating and he's playing really sensibly and he's doing the simple things well. He was horrible against Antwerp. He, he failed to track his man several times. He was ball watching various times. Uh, he was on that side of, of the defence with Sanchez where basically all of their attacks came from and it was not a good performance. He did put in one really good cross though. Uh, so there's that. Um, but but Nathan, how many teams do you think he'd get into in the Premier League? Uh, about 10. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't have to yeah. go through the list and think about their options and finance. It's about 10, yeah, isn't it? It's about 10. Um, what I said before about Sergio Aurea is um, if he has a strong run of games, we know that they're going to come to an end. We know the age that he's at. We know the problems he comes with. He has a good run of games going up to January. Do our best to plug him in January. The problem is yeah. that the Serge Aurier experience has come back around far too early. What we do um, is we say that he's injured. We pretend that he has um, nothing not, you know, nothing that he can't recover from. Nothing that there'd be a worry about. Uh, illness. We, we pretend that he's ill until January. <laughs> um, so that Because no one watched the Antwerp game. Don't worry about that. No one watched... The other clubs didn't watch a 6pm Thursday night Europa League game. <laughs> That's fine. That, that we can sweep under the rug. But if he puts in two or three games like that in the Premier League between now and January, the, the gig is over. We need to weekend at Bernie's. Um, <laughs> Serge Aurier. <laughs> it's okay, mate. They're all on Sky Box Office. No one's going to see So he can play him in every game that's on Sky Box Office. Um, Bardi, do you think Southampton would play Serge Aurier over Kyle Walker-Peters? No, but I think it's probably a little bit more than, than 10. I think... <laughs> I think um, I think you're getting about twelve to thirteen teams. I I, I still think there's a right back in there somewhere that somebody will be fooled by. They'll they'll see his um, his assist stats and he'll he'll get in more teams than you think. That's a good question. He, he, they wouldn't though, would they? <laughs> they, wouldn't. they wouldn't. They really no, wouldn't. Of course not. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I, I'm enjoying it far too much. I shouldn't be enjoying my own question. Wendy's so lap of honour. <laughs> yeah, it seriously is. Seriously, I'm, I'm a pathetic man. I'm absolutely. <laughs> pathetic, Should we play the Harry Kane clip again? Man. Do you remember that one time? <laughs> I'm crying. I'm actually crying. Oh, God. Right, snap out of it, man. Um, Dermot Wilson, he says, I'm just wondering how much an effect the clocks going backwards would have had on the fitness of our players with that Burnley performance. We definitely didn't look as sharp as in most of our previous games. He adds, a bit off topic, personally, I'd love to get rid of daylight saving hours because apparently research shows that clocks changing can have an increase in the chance of someone having a heart attack soon after. I've never heard that, and I kind of want to do some research into that now, but um, it's something I'd not considered before. But I know that my own body clock is definitely a little bit, I know it's only an hour, but my own body clock is always thrown by the, uh, the daylight saving time. Uh, what do you think, Bard? Do you think there's any <laughs> realistic chance that this has an impact on players? I don't know, Mike. I was listening, I was even dropping into my wife's conversation today and she was she was at the other end of the she was at the other end of the 
<laughs> she was at the other end of the table. She kept saying Mercurio regresando. So about something about Mercury is regressed or something, and it's to do with the changing of the retrograde. What? Yeah, there's something. Yeah, it must be that. I don't know, but it's something about um, Mercury has, has <laughs> regressed, and, like Aurier has, and that's the reason why we're <laughs> the reason why I'm not feeling. <laughs> the reason why I'm feeling more tired and maybe not as motivated with my work stuff and everything else, and that's what she's convinced by it. So um, if she, if my wife is convinced that Mercury is, is regresando, then then I'm convinced it hasn't had it has had an effect on Tottenham as well. Nathan, as a man who yep. is basically nocturnal, yep. uh, how how does um, daylight savings time affect your life? I don't get to see the sun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, either way, there's no daylight saved for you. No, it's it's the opposite. It's it's daylight withdrawn. So yeah. I'm not 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 the biggest fan. The uh, the thing is, it like even for real adults who have a sensible sleeping pattern, most of them they're not. Most people aren't getting up at like at six every single day, especially with so many people working from home at the moment. The idea that we base our um, time zones around like farming habits is a little much. I think I think most people, given the choice, wouldn't would be happy to wake in darkness and get an hour at the end of the day so they can come home in in the light. Um, again, it's irrelevant to me, uh, or it's not irrelevant to me, but I shouldn't be given an opinion on this because I'm an abomination. But what do you think about the impact on footballers? <laughs> I have no idea. What are you talking about? What a terrible question. <laughs> Sorry, I won't buy. What do you want about me? Fine, it is interesting. Fine. Well, though. Der- look, Dermot, I thought I thought it was a, a really good question. Oh, it's something I hadn't considered before. Uh, the fact that Nathan hates you, don't take it personally. <laughs> uh, Bardi and I will always be here for you. And I didn't think your question was stupid at all. But it is daylight is important. So I'm, I'm a bit concerned now about Nathan and his vitamin D intake. So get, take some pills, man. I'm worried about you not seeing. That's right. I, I buy Sunny Delight by the uh, by the gallon, so well, I'll be fine. <laughs> Jeez, do you actually? No, God, no! Imagine it no. turned the people orange. Do you remember that? It was meant to be this healthy thing, and the whole country went orange. Brilliant! That is where we end in the podcast. <laughs> on that line, the whole country went orange. <laughs> You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review, that would really help.